Welcome to this soul-lifting broadcast which has been put together for your spiritual growth and to make greatness common right where you are. Be sure to make the best of this moment as God takes the lead in all that concerns you. Let me take a minute to just welcome everyone joining us in this service, wherever you are, hearing the sound of my voice. I want to welcome you very, very specially to this powerful, wonderful service, uh, broadcasting live from a broadcast center here at Pieces Conference Center in Lekki, Lagos. I wanted to put instructions away from you. If you're lying down, you're still on the couch, sit up, get your Bible, get your device, get ready to be blessed by God's word. If you're trying to fix something, maybe fix breakfast or tea, uh, Make a choice whether you want to listen to the word or fix something. Uh, <laughs> you may not be able to do, I mean, both as well as you should. And I'm speaking to somebody who is joining us from home. If you're in transit, also put yourself together to be able to make the best out of this teaching experience. Now, for everyone right in the room, I want to welcome you very special. And if you don't mind, help me welcome everyone joining us online with a hand clap. Uh, please help me welcome them. Praise God, praise God, praise God. How was your week? Okay, let me look at your neighbor and appreciate them. I say something good to your neighbor, something good, something nice. You can compliment their dressing, just something, something that makes them know that somebody good is sitting beside me. <laughs> praise God. I said praise God. Somebody, I don't know how your week went. It may be, you know, some people will say so-so. But I declare in the name of Jesus that this new week is coming with new blessings. Amen. God will show up in all the affairs of your life. Amen. Wherever there has been fear, apprehension, you know, doubt, not knowing what will happen, God will prove himself faithful in your life. Amen. He will meet you at every point of need in the name of Jesus. This week, somebody will remember you. Yeah. As in, someone who really needs to remember you will remember you this week. Yeah. And whatever good is in their heart to do, God will prompt them to do it concerning you. In the precious name of Jesus. Something that has been escaping your mind that is needful for this season. This week, the Holy Spirit will bring you into remembrance of such things. You will not only remember, you will take action. In the name of Jesus. You will no longer miss your season. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. Again, if you are blessed to be a part of this service, I want you to put your hands together, celebrate Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a joy to be in God's presence. Uh, we're speaking to the subject of living better loving better by knowing better. And we started last week with this teaching series, Free to Love. We emphasize the fact that love is under pressure and endangered in this season or in, in, at this time that we're living in. Uh, we started from Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul writing to his protege, Timothy, said, at the last day, perilous times shall come. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1 said, men shall be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parent, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, uh, uh, give me the next verse, next verse, quickly. Uh, it said, traitors, yes, that's what I'm trying to remember. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we see, I've seen this play out in love relationships. We've seen this play out in family relationships, relationships with siblings, with parents. All kinds of relationships are under immense pressure. Coming out of COVID, we have seen how it has become difficult for many people to keep the home together, keep the marriage together. And in this series, we 
trusting God to help us to speak to specific things that will now prepare each and every one of us to make the best out of the vital and pivotal relationships that God has positioned around us. It's important to note that favor with God, like I was preaching in church on Wednesday, if you are not here, you can get a message, uh, which was titled Favor with Man. Favor with God manifests as favor with man. And if the devil wants to cut you short in your experience of divine favor, he does something uh, that will make, that will limit the potentials of the relationship that God has put around you. So what we're addressing today is one of those things that will unleash the potentials of your God-given relationships so that living and loving becomes something that happens peacefully, easily uh, around your life. I've titled this, How to be Naked. How to be Naked. And somebody may be wondering, what a title, what a message, what should we expect? I just want to teach you how to be naked. And please don't run away. And if you're at home, it's a good place to be so, because you are in the comfort of your room and you can just follow what I'm teaching and just get naked. <laughs> How to be naked? I think it's supposed to be a very simple thing. Like I'm wearing some layers. I think it's simple, right? Yeah, I just take off the first layer, right? Is that okay? Can I go on? Are you afraid for yourself or for me? I just need to be sure. <laughs> I just need to be sure. What are we really dealing with? You're afraid for yourself so that your eyes will not be old. So are you saying I'm evil? <laughs> There's something about Nakedness, though, that is scary. It comes with all kinds of emotions. Sometimes you cannot even explain it. Uh, the primary emotion is shame. Adam and Eve in Genesis transgressed, disobeyed God. The Bible says their eyes became open and they saw that they were naked, uncovered, because prior to that time, the glory of God covered them. They were not aware of their nakedness. And when they became aware of their nakedness, they also, I mean, the emotion that it elicited was the emotion of shame. So when God showed up, I'm sure you've read it before, they covered themselves with, uh, with fig leaves, you know, uh, to just, and I said God did not know before. And then God showed up and was asking them questions. What's going on here? Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get into that because I don't want to digress from the core of my message. But what I'm talking about is the emotion that comes with nakedness. Let's read from Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. So simply put, to be naked because this message is about how to be naked, to be naked, just remove clothes. To be naked is just to remove the layers. To be naked is just to come the way you are. To be naked is to take away the facade. Yeah. I was, I was meditating on this a bit more just before I read the scripture. And I was asking myself, why do we dress up? <laughs> Apart from the shame factor. Yeah, the shame of nakedness. Because today, you have to think about it very well, that some people are almost willing to walk naked on the street. It means that uh, their, their mind has been so twisted, what is natural, which is natural shame, is no longer natural to them. Yeah. Something is happening psychologically that makes them not to be able to feel that thing again. And can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, shame has a positive and negative side. Yeah. Shame is actually a tangible thing. 
There's a measure of shame that will require to remain sane as human being or to be seen as a sane human. But there's a measure of shame that is destructive that limits my capacity and potentials to live to the fullness of my life. I will say together. Yeah. As we go into this message, we hope to be able to examine the two sides of it, uh, one way or the other, get into uh, the, 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 you know, the different sides of it. All right? Uh, let's, let's read, read the, 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 the scripture. Let's read the scripture. Let me just go ahead. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. The Bible says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Somebody say one flesh. Oh, come on. Let me, let me preach again. Say one flesh. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Verse 25, we're going to read that together as a church. Join me. One, two, go. Both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Can we, can we attempt to do this together one more time? They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So from Genesis 2, 24 and 25, I see what I choose to call the irreducible minimum of a godly marriage. The irreducible minimum of a Christian marriage. The irreducible minimum of a marriage that will be successful without pain or with the minimum ever level of pain that anybody can feel in a marriage. That's the irreducible minimum. Of this irreducible minimum is that the marriage will fail or it will be filled with loads of pain, unbearable one for that matter. So Genesis 2.24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined or cleave to his wife, and two of them shall become one flesh. So, living and cleaving is the first irreducible minimum of a godly marriage or relationship. Living and cleaving. The second one is two becoming one flesh. And the third one, quickly, is naked and not ashamed. See, on these three things, I can teach a whole weekend seminar, three hours, take a break, one hour, we'll come back, and, we, and people who have been at a couple's uh, weekend retreat, the full weekend retreat, will understand what I'm talking about. Uh, God has blessed me with grace to be able to unpack things like this and speak to it from a very pragmatic point of view. And I appreciate God for that. I'm not about to do that because we have a limited time. Yeah, limited time today. But these See, whether you're single or married, you need to understand that these are the irreducible minimums of any marriage that will be successful, that will last, and that will not inflict pain. Because not every marriage that has lasted has been painless. Are you still with me today? Living and cleaving, like we often say, and I've said here many times, it's not an event, it's a process, it's a journey. So I stand at wedding ceremonies, joining to proclaim, I mean, uh, man and wife, I've now proclaimed you man and wife, uh, and we quote this scripture, Genesis 2 and 24. So the Bible says, a man shall leave his father and mother and, be, and cleave to his wife, and all that, and we pro pronounce man and wife. So from that point, conceptually, Two has become one. But in actuality, the journey actually started from that point. The journey of living and cleaving for two to become one. And many people can run a marriage for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And they're not making progress in that department. They're living together, but the real living and cleaving is not happening. Journey of two becoming one has become very slow. Very slow. 
So we've been at it for long, but we haven't made so much progress. As I speak today, I'm praying that God will fast track the journey for many people here. And whatever has stopped you in that journey, as we speak today, may healing come upon your home. Oh, can I get a better amen? amen? And for everyone that is single, listening to me, I need you to understand that what we're teaching today will open you up to possibilities so that when you get into marriage, that journey of 40 days will not take you 40 years. Yeah, that, that's the reason why you should listen to this. Because it actually takes a lot of time for living and cleaving to happen, for two to become one, when we don't understand how to be naked. Let me just put it on the table. How to be naked. I was, I was, um, I was counseling a guy once, and I've never seen that situation before. This was many years ago. And this guy looked at me and said, Pastor, do you want to hear the truth? He said, yes. Tell me the truth. That's why we're here. He said, my wife and I will be married for over 10 years. Or as at the time, maybe over 15 years. He said, but we've never been one. And I don't think she has the capacity to be one with anybody. I said, how do you mean? Elucidate. Expansate. <laughs> Borrow me another word. <laughs> eh? Break it down. Proclamates. <laughs> Whatever word. Because I was so stunned. I was looking at him like that because I've never seen anybody confront me with the issue of oneness like that before. I said, Pastor, see my hand. See how many fingers do I have here? I said, ah. Okay, 10. <laughs> he said, I can count more than 10 people that my wife has slept with in the last 15 years of our marriage. Said, and I will not blink, and I'll tell you, and I'm not going to be apathetical, I'll tell you their names. <laughs> I said, Don't worry. Yeah, because I don't want a name that I will not be able to forget. <laughs> and this guy went on and on and on. I've never seen anything like this before. And by the way, I've been counseling for quite a bit of time over 20 years. And I was so stunned, but I wasn't surprised that the marriage went south and eventually broke apart because it's impossible to be one with many people. Jesus said in Matthew 19, when they asked him, can a man divorce his wife for just any reason? He said, in the beginning, it was not so. Moses permitted you to issue the bill of divorce because of the hardness of your heart. But this is where I'm going because we're living in a day now where people are sponsoring ideas about polygamy. God's original intention is for two to become one. And you can't be one with uh, Jessica and one with Jane, you know, and one with Jumoke at the same time. Yeah. You are not one. You are six. Or 16 or something like that. Yeah. Because in God's original intention, polygamy does not exist. So don't give me David had many wives. David is not the gold standard when it comes to marriage. Yeah. It's not the gold standard. It's not the gold standard. If you want the gold standard about marriage, talk about Joseph. Because people don't talk about Joseph. They don't talk about Joseph. A man that kept, you know, himself, demonstrated self-control. How many times did David demonstrate self-control in the Bible? You know the stories. So little wonder that it was polygamous. Because polygamy is an expression of lack of control. Yeah? So that people say, if I do it, I will not live in sin. Because I will, at least I will, I will marry all of them. But I want variety. Let's not go there today. Yeah, it's, um, it's a story for another day. But the concept I'm teaching today is that of oneness. 
And this is coming from somebody who grew up in a polygamous home, by the way. And I saw my late father in a dire strait of distribution of love <laughs> in a way that's unsustainable. I, 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 I need to try to stop here because I'm digressing from my message. But somebody here, maybe the devil has been sponsoring polygamy to you. God sent me to you today <laughs> to rethink your ways and get back to the Bible, the basics of the Bible. Jesus said in the beginning, original intention, it was not so. That original intention is Genesis 2, 24 and 25. The irreducible minimum of a godly marriage, the one who insisted marriage is living and cleaving Two becoming one and naked and not ashamed. So the journey to oneness in marriage, you know, is that you leave. Can you put that slide up for me? Leave parents, cleave to each other, be naked in all areas of life without shame. Yeah. And when Jesus described this to his disciples, he said, if this is the way of a man with a maid, it's better not to marry. Because they thought it was going to be impossible. Jesus said, uh, it is possible. It is possible. It is possible. It's possible to be naked and not ashamed. It's possible to, to, to not be fixated on what you have been hiding and allow to limit your capacity for, for relational integrity. Because for many people who are single, uh, the problem really is not that you are hiding from somebody, but you are really hiding from yourself. Yeah. So when you get into a marriage, you keep hiding. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If I ask the question right now, eh, uh, um, what is the most shameful thing that you have ever done in your life? People will have all kinds of answers. The only thing is that do you still feel shame about it or not? Because if you are still keeping it to yourself, the shame remains. If you have shared it severally, you know one of the things I enjoy most about being a public speaker is the ability to make fun of myself. Yeah. And I realize that that's what gets the attention of people the most. Because most people don't have the courage to talk about themselves. <laughs> so I realize that when I talk about myself, it really, you know, hit the thing home very well. And God has given me grace to, to, to just live with the reality that real life and a good life is the one that is lived uh, without shame. Yeah. I'm not ashamed to let you know what I don't know. The courage to be imperfect is great. You only need, you know, the, the willingness to grow. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. So I'm not going to pose to you. I mean, when I was dating my wife, uh, I took her to my brother's house once. We don't even started dating, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah. It was a two-bedroom house in the corner of some place that she has never been before. And I was living with my brother then. And he said, come, come and eat a mala with us there. Yeah, so that you see, and you see how my family people misbehave. Yeah. <laughs> you know some people, you make people feel like your parents are something that they are not. And you have gotten used to it in your single life, so how do you want to correct it? Yeah, because when it comes to your family, you post to your family as if you belong to the British monarchy. <laughs> it's just that we didn't see your face yesterday. <laughs> when King Charles was being coronated. Because <laughs> that's, that's how some people behave, you know. You just post to everything is about packaging. Yeah. Everything is about packaging. And that reminds me of one guy that I had as a, uh, was like a friend in my undergraduate days. The guy used to amaze us. 
I don't want to mention his name so that some people here may know him. Yeah. But one thing that was peculiar about him was that anytime you see him, he's properly dressed and talked in. So one day, one of my friends called him. said, bros, come. Is this how you sleep? <laughs> yeah. Do you talk in your pajamas? Because we, we don't know. <laughs> We've never seen you unguarded before. The person that is talking is like the most happy-go-lucky around us. He will just show up, you know, hey, what's up? Hey, hey, ooh, ooh, ooh. But see when this other guy comes in, it's packaged. Yeah. True to it, and I'm telling you, this happened maybe in our year three or year four, and I'd never seen that guy on top to him before. I'd never seen him not looking prim and proper. So we used to wonder, where do you wake up from? Are you in this school? You know, <laughs> because it was just different. And as good as that sounds, the only problem is that your friends, your friends, your friends, the ones that are closest to you, must know you in a different way more than that prim and proper personality. In my language, they said the person that will organize your funeral and bury you you don't hide your flesh, your nakedness from them. Because whether you like it or not, they will wash your body and wear the clothes that they want. Because at that point, you can't choose the clothes, except you have written it in your will. And they will wear it for you and package you. Say, so those kind of people, you cannot be hiding your flesh from them. And in a marriage, the person that should be able to package your body after you are gone, it's your spouse. How much of your nakedness have they seen now? That's the issue. And I'm not only talking about your physical body, but your financial wreckage. They are the ones that will package it after you have gone. If you keep hiding it, it's to your burial. <laughs> I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying today. Because some people behave as if they, they, they can package themselves into heaven. Yeah. Everything is is properly packaged under wraps. So the closest person to you does not even know the next thing that you're up to. How do you remain married successfully to that kind of a person? That's the problem. That's a, a real problem, a huge one for that matter. So, What are you ashamed of from your background? From your parents? From your level of ignorance? From your level of education or what have you? You know, Pastor Debo was preaching first service and I love this story that he told about in his younger days, I mean, he said he was standing at the balcony of his, of his father's house right in, 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 in Ibadan, you know. And he was looking out one day and he saw a young elementary school, primary school guy that a car was about to drop from school. Apparently, this boy took a ride with his friend's mom, decided to drop him. He knows the guy. He knows their house on the street. But there's this bungalow that he just finished building, well-painted, was the most beautiful house on the street. The boy told the friend and the mom that, that that's their house. So they dropped him in front of the house. This was a primary school guy. Dropped him in front of the house. He came out of the car. Rather than going towards the gate to go in, he stooped low, was opening his bag, you know, packaging and was using one corner eye to look at the car as they were turning. The woman made a U-turn and sped off, and that's when the boy carried his bag and started walking towards their house. <laughs> yeah. Some people started like that. Some of us here, you started like that 30 years ago. It's time to repent. <laughs> it's not sustainable. Yeah, it's not sustainable.
When you start like that and keep it like that, you live a life that is overtly guarded. People can't really get to know you. Intimacy, even in marriage and relationship, becomes difficult. Because intimacy, in plain language, is into me, you see. I need to be able to see into you. To know what I'm into. What are we doing together? Who are you really? Because we have too many strangers getting in bed. And people are more comfortable with physical nakedness today than emotional nakedness, financial nakedness, and what have you. And we need to challenge ourselves that the real nakedness transcends physical nakedness. It's beyond physical nakedness. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and two of them shall become one flesh, and they were both naked physically, emotionally, financially, naked about their aspirations, visions, and dreams, naked about what is important to them, and, and, you know, and all that. When we just got married, whenever we're having anything to do in my family, if I was the first to tell my wife, see my wife, you know, you are from a nuclear family. I'm from a polygamous family. We are plenty. We have, I have extended family members. Anything we are doing in our house is a carnival. Because only us, only the, what's supposed to be a nuclear family, we are enough to have a party on our own. Yeah. So, I will not uh, allow you to attend events without me because they can eat you alive. And she has seen samples of it before because I have some people that are not wear. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed of them because it's the reality of life. Some people would throw their spouses under, under the bus in the name of whatever. Why, 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 are you, why are you not upfront about the dysfunctionalities of your family? I thought this person has now become a member of your family. It's our issue, so let's deal with it together. Why am I hiding it from you? How somebody's getting something from this? So let me ask your neighbor, what are you hiding? You know, the danger of hiding stuff is that we stifle our authentic self. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. You can imagine me coming here this morning and I'm talking like somebody. I'm trying to speak for that I don't have. This natural self, this young man that you are happy with, yeah? <laughs> I will be somebody else. I'm trying to live somebody's life and stifle my own personal, innate, God-given potentials. That's what happens to people. And when you have two people hiding in a relationship, they're stifling the collective capacity of that relationship because you're not bringing your authentic self to the table. Are you still with me today? It's very important. There are mindsets that deter nakedness. And um, I want to quickly just run through a few of them. One is a sense of inadequacy. It's a mindset that deter nakedness. You know, that, that just stop us from, it's, it's, it's an offshoot of shame, but it's, it's, it's real. A sense of inadequacy, the fear of rejection, you know, is it, it, also important that we deal with that. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 10, Paul was writing there and he said, I am what I am. By the grace of God. Yeah. So I'm not going to allow a sense of inadequacy uh, that, that will mess my mind up. Can you, can you put, put, put the slide back? I see that some people are still trying to take a picture or something. Paul, Paul was saying, look, I, I'm not hiding anything. He said in, in verse 9 there, he said, I'm the least of all the apostles. I mean, Paul was very vulnerable and talks about himself a lot in his writings. 
said, I'm like a child born in due season. I wasn't even with the apostles when Christ was around. So I'm not trying to prove that I know Christ or I obnubbed with him. No. And was front-loading it because some of these churches he was writing to, they knew him more than they knew the people that were with Jesus. You know, if there were some people, they would say, ah, Jesus. Now, we the role now, we, you know, we're always together. You know, I know, I know, I know that BQ where you used to live. We go there. You know, once people are talking about politicians today or people that are important, they say, ah, we went to the same school now. I knew, I knew his father's house. I knew, you know, we used to take the same bus to school. Meanwhile, you didn't even live in the same city. Paul said, I'm not going to try to prove that I know Jesus more than Peter, James, and John. He called them. He didn't call me. Yeah. Me, I saw him in a trance. He appeared to me on the road to Damascus. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't obnub with him physically. And he was frontal about it. Yet, his voice was the most dominant voice at a certain point. And he wasn't trying to be who he was not. That's why I said, he said, this is by grace. There's some things that, when God is helping you by grace, what what do you have? As in, why do you have to pose again? So, a sense of inadequacy, fear of rejection, past experience that inhibit vulnerability. See, these past experiences just limit people's capacity for nakedness and vulnerability. You've been hurt before. You said something to somebody before and they brought it into the open or inflicted some measure of pain or shame on you. It does not mean that you have to be guarded for the rest of your life. And if you're in a season of life where you're trying to find love again, maybe you, you're not separated or divorced or somebody jilted you or your relationship broke, that does not mean that you should not practice vulnerability again. That everybody in the world did not hurt you. One person did. There are billions of people in this world who will do better than that person. Don't allow what you have gone through to limit your capacity for vulnerability. So personal vulnerability is a major factor in building lasting selfless relationships. It's a major, major factor. Major factor. Major factor. We saw this in the life of Christ. Jesus demonstrated immense vulnerability in Matthew 26, when you read from verse 37. You know, Jesus of of Nazareth, Jesus of the whole world, Jesus, the Messiah, there are certain things that he should not say. But in Matthew 26, in verse 37 there, to reveal his feelings to his disciples. The Bible says he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Don't forget this was Jesus. This was God. Yeah. Deeply distressed, began to be, you know, just vulnerable with his people. Verse 38, the Bible says, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. What Jesus told his disciples is that I feel depressed. So my soul is exceedingly uh, 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 my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. This situation is depressive. It's bad. Some people feel they are too powerful to let people know how bad they feel about certain things or what they are going through. And the thing is killing, but they can't talk out. Jesus was vulnerable. Vulnerability is the bad place of authenticity. Yeah. If you want to be an authentic soul, you want to be an authentic person like Jesus, you have to learn to be vulnerable. You have to learn to be vulnerable. And for singles hearing me today, if you don't practice vulnerability in your singlehood, it becomes a chore, a terrible chore in marriage. It becomes something that will be so difficult in marriage. Yeah. If you don't practice vulnerability. Uh, and you don't have, what I'm trying to say is, you don't have to be married to be a vulnerable person. Yeah. As a team lead, 
Practice vulnerability with your team members in the office. Tell them that you know or that when you were doing what they are doing, you struggled also. But this was how you overcame it. So I'm telling them, Jacob, do it. Hey! Maybe you're tempted to do that sometimes. I'm tempted to do that sometimes, but you slow down some other times and tell them, when I was doing that thing, I struggled. It was not easy. Yeah. Somebody had to teach me like this and like that. That's real vulnerability. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. The Bible says, we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmity. I think New King James Version says, that cannot sympathize. Yeah, you see? Say that, that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all point tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's talking about Jesus. So our high priest, he can sympathize with anything. That's why there's nothing you have gone through in this world that God has not experienced. He sent his son to come and experience it. So that when you come to say, I'm sorry, they know what you're sorry about. They know how it feels. They know you know, that's why God says, look, don't come to me like you're the best thing after sliced bread. No. Yeah. We know the pool of temptation that you're dealing with. So, come as you are. Come as you are. Come as you are. And in, your, in any meaningful relationship, the come as you are concept remains the gold standard. Can't be married. I mean, you can't be married. You can't be married ten years, five years. Your bucket list of things you are hiding—they are not reducing. Yeah. You know, some people are comfortable with living a whole lifetime with all kinds of eating things of darkness. You're just covering up, covering up, covering up, and it's eating you up. And destroying the potentials of that relationship to really blossom. So we need to, to learn how to be vulnerable in different relationships. In parenting, for instance, you need to be able to be down to earth with your children. You pack it for them, they pack it for you. It's as simple as that. It's garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. I was talking to someone recently who told me to my face, said, said, Pastor, my mother did not bring me up. He said, I grew up on my own. I said, how do you mean? He said, there are things I went through. If I told my mom, she would faint. She lacked the capacity for that level of vulnerability. And I was looking at myself like this. I was like, Jesus is Lord. Hmm, how does this apply to me? Are there things that my own children too cannot tell me? So they're figuring it out on their own. Because we're not practicing that level of vulnerability. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very, very important. So many people believe that acceptance by others require conformity to their expectation and, you know, and then the loss of their own authentic self. Don't live like that. Anybody that cannot accept you the way you are is not your God-appointed helpmeet. Yeah. Anybody that cannot accept you the way you are is not your God-appointed helpmeet. Anything that I discover about my spouse or that I get to know, my appropriate response is God give me grace to bear it. Yeah. Give me grace to bear it. Because there are some things that you can hide and some things you cannot hide. If you snore, for instance, you can't hide it. How do you hide it? No. <laughs> You'll be sucking it as you're sleeping. No. You snore out. We hear it. And then the person that is there will say, God, just be giving me grace to sleep under this sound. Turn it to Afrobeat for me. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> or rhythm and blues so I can just be sleeping. Or praise worship. Let it be praise worship for me, Jesus, so I can sleep under the sound. The appropriate response to the weakness of your partner is to ask for grace. It's grace, 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 grace. Because I said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in your weakness. Yeah, that's the appropriate response. So if I know that that's my appropriate response and that should be my spouse's appropriate response, I'm, I'm open to front load and to be my, bring my authentic self into my relationship. It's also important to, to emphasize that nudity is different from nakedness. Though they mean the same, but not in complete terms. Yeah. Because today, we have people who have lost, to, some, to a very large extent, some sense of shame. They reveal their bodies, you know, what the, the clothes that should take three or five yards, they will sew it with half a yard. <laughs> so that the vital places that should not be seen on the street will be seen. But you know the funny thing? Such people have their souls in three-piece suit with an overcoat. So, they go for nudity, but they cannot practice nakedness. And nudity, because of popular culture, that's how everybody is dressing. That's what, I mean, that's what Hollywood is selling to us. Some people are even willing to act nude parts in their movies and all that. But the only thing is that when you encounter some people with all their nudity, the real issues of their lives, like I said before, it's wearing three-piece suit with winter jackets. So that nobody gets there. That's why you see somebody that is so popular, that is this, that is that, is on the page of a Cosmopolitan magazine, and this one, that one, the next thing you hear is that they've committed suicide. Yeah. Because there are issues they're dealing with. That though the whole world can see their naked body, but they cannot see their soul. Glory be to God. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10 says in the New Living Translation, it says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can really know? I mean, who really knows how bad it is? Yeah. Who really knows how bad it is? I'm reading New Living Translation. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts. And examine secret motives. I give all people their due reward according to what their actions deserve. God said, I am able to search. I'm able to, to, to look through. Uh, you know, God is a master of naked people. He's a master at it. He just, all the things we're covering. He knows it. He knows them. Let me wrap this all up today. By just giving quick, these quick four tips for cultivating trust, which is the foundation, the foundational atmosphere for vulnerability. See, whenever there's trust, I'm willing to come open because I can trust the response of my spouse or my partner or my friend, as the case may be. Whenever you cannot trust the response that you will get from people, you hide. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, you start to hide because you can't trust the, the, the response that you will get. Which is why I said the appropriate response should be to ask God for grace. When people know that when, you, when they front load their case to you, what you are going to do is not to judge them, but to ask God for grace to bear with them, to live with them, to walk with them, they are more open. So four tips for cultivating trust quickly. One is understanding your spouse, their personality, love language, and background. Just understanding it and trusting God for grace to be able to bear with it. Then you'll be able to cultivate trust and vulnerability in your home. So know your spouse well enough not to generalize about them. There are many young mar married people here who you know, carry stereotypes from their parents. Your husband behaves somehow. He says, all men are like that. Yeah. Rather than helping somebody to overcome a weakness, you generalize. 
How do you say all, all, you know, all women nag? If your wife is nagging, don't generalize. If nagging is an issue, let's resolve it in our own marriage. Don't accept that all women nag. All men cheat. No. If there's a tendency for your spouse to cheat, can we resolve that one and not generalize it? Let me know what I'm dealing with so that we can build trust together. Are you still with me today? Secondly, don't, 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 don't expect perfection. Focus on shared values. There's no perfect person. If you want to build trust and vulnerability, don't expect perfection. Focus on shared values. How can we challenge each other onto good works so that we can begin to, you know, to, to imbibe the same kind of values? Because people don't have to be perfect to be trusted. They just need to be open. Yeah. People don't have to be perfect to be trusted. They just need to be open enough. And when they, they know the kind of response they will get, then they are more open. And we can work together. So cultivate a forgiving heart. But be principles, principled about, you know, relationship deal breakers. So I have a forgiving heart, but this is a deal breaker. Yeah. This is a deal breaker. So, infidelity is a deal breaker. I have a forgiving heart. But if you continue to cheat, this marriage may not work. Let's put it on the table. Yeah. Let's put it on the table. So that we can both, we can seek help. Lying is a deal breaker. I'm willing to forgive. But you cannot continue to lie. About money, or about anything. That will not lead us into oneness. So every marriage, we must have our deal breakers and be willing to confront them whilst we continue to forgive each other. Next Sunday, we're going to have an open day where we're going to talk, I mean, uh, within the service like this, uh, we're going to give some time for people who are in love relationships or even people who, who just have people in their lives where the things that they're holding on to there's unforgiveness, animosity of any kind. We're going to give time. If such people are in the service, they're going to discuss within the service. Yeah. That in 1902, you said this and you offended me and I've still not forgiven you. But today, by God's grace, I want to. Yeah. You two will be able to say, in 1789, You did this, you know, you, 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 you threw me under the bus in front of your mother. God bless her soul because she's now late. But I'm still angry. Yes. So that, that, that kind of conversation, we want to be able to have it just within the service. Glory be to God. I said glory be to God. So. Number three and four quickly and I close. Sow seeds of trust. Be transparent and accountable. If you don't trust people, they may not also be able to trust you. Proverbs 17 and 17 says, A friend lost at all times, a brother is born for the day of adversity. So we keep front-loading things that will make us a kind of person that people can want to be friendly with. Whoever wants to have a friend must of himself be friendly. So, um, we want to build trust in our relationship. I want to be able to know where you are going without me asking. That is unsolicited accountability, especially when trust has been threatened. Yeah. You have been going somewhere. You have been caught for going there. You have said you are not going again. Now, when you are going out, instead of you allowing my mind to be roaming about where you are going, tell me, I'm going to the office in Victoria Island. That's what we're talking about. You are the helper of my joy and my faith. Not that you just pick your car key and you're going and say, where are you going? Are you a monitoring spirit? And you just go. 
So you allow the person's mind to be roaming as you are going. Yeah. And you, you, you know, all kinds of things. And you want to be trusted. And you're not willing to volunteer information. You're talking to somebody on the phone. And your spouse comes in. And you move into the corner. The dining side. And you finish your conversation. When you get back. That was Peter. We're discussing that project that I spoke about. Don't allow her or him to be saying, so who was that? Yeah. As simple as that. Why, why are we creating, you know, vagaries? Things that will just make people tempted to not want to trust us. Glory be to God. Lastly today, show empathy like Jesus did. Show empathy. Show empathy. Show empathy. Show empathy. When people fail or demonstrate weakness, don't throw them under the bus. It will kill trust or vulnerability. Yeah. It will, it will, it will, it will destroy vulnerability. To destroy vulnerability. Why do people really hide? It is the fear of the reaction what will come out of it? Some people will tell you, see, if you tell my wife this thing, she will just poison me. <laughs> because <laughs> they've thought about it. This woman can do it too. Yeah. You can poison somebody. If, you, if ah, I can never tell her that too. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's show empathy. Let's show empathy. We do not have a high priest that cannot be taught with the feelings of our infirmity. He wasn't always tempted like we are, yet without sin. So he knew what we're going through. Uh, he knows what we're going through, and he can feel for us. Who should best feel for someone else than the person who proclaimed that I love this person? Show empathy. Show empathy. Show empathy. Let's forgive. And let's show empathy. Somebody blessed today. I said, are you blessed today? <laughs> Hallelujah. Lift your two hands to Jesus. And say, Father, give me grace to practice vulnerability in the important relationships of my life. Yeah. Give me grace to practice vulnerability. Give me grace to practice vulnerability. Give me grace to practice vulnerability. Give me grace. Give me grace. And somebody is saying, Lord, this has been difficult in this marriage, but I know it's not impossible. And I'm willing to walk with you, Father, again. I'm willing to walk with you, with your wisdom, Holy Spirit. I'm just releasing everything into your hand today. I need help. I need help. Jesus, I need help. If that's the prayer of your heart, lift it up to him today and just say, Father, I need help. And maybe somebody's hearing me, whether you're online or you're in the room. You want to stop hiding. You want to stop hiding. You want to stop hiding. And it's time for you to ask God for help. I'm saying, Father, I cannot continue to hide like this. Yeah. I can't continue to run from shame. There's nothing you cannot wipe away. I want to come into the open concerning this issue and that issue. Because I know when I stand before you on the last day, you already know them. So there's nothing for me to hide again. And I'm just asking you for grace to give me wisdom to know how to come out of my hiding place in my relationship. Because if I come out, maybe you will heal our marriage. You can't keep hiding until everything breaks down and broken into pieces. Because there's things that if you come out early enough, it will not be irreparable. Whatever you're hiding, wherever you are under the influence of my voice, right in the room or online, I just wanted to open your mouth to God and speak to him about it right now. There's wisdom available starting from this week to deal with that thing. And every hidden works of darkness shall be revealed and healed at the same time. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we break the hold of shame and fear, fear of rejection, 
Membra deka loto frehenge lakabo shatayande. Roborobo satika lande radobosha. We ask that your spirit will move over this congregation right now. That you heal someone's heart from shame, from that feeling of disappointment. And you help us to come as strong that we may build strong relationships rooted in trust and vulnerability. It's your will for us to be naked with one another. Whatever, whatever inhibits nakedness, we stand against such today. And we decree and declare that homes are healed here. That courage is restored. Esteem is restored. We thank you for health in our vital relationships. Let your power flow over every marriage represented here. Let hardened hearts become soft. Help us to see each other the way you are seeing us. Help us to forgive each other. Help us to empathize with each other that we may realize the full potentials of our relationships. We thank you everlasting Father. Wave your hands to Jesus all over this place and just bless him. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless your name. Lord, we bless your name. Thank you, everlasting Father. Sitting in the attitude of prayers with all its bowed, can I pray for somebody in this service or someone online who may be saying, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior. Or somebody who may say, I said a prayer before by backsliding to sin. And I know that God has touched my heart in this place today. I want to release my heart to Jesus. I want to open the door of my heart. I'm not ashamed to ask him for forgiveness of my sins. I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. Can I pray for you right now? Whether you are online or you are in this room, can I pray for you right now? Can I pray for you right now? And I pray for you right now. You may not be vulnerable with everyone in the world. It's unsustainable. But there are some people you must be vulnerable with. And the first one is God himself. Just to be able to say, Father, this is me. I know I need help. I've come short. I need forgiveness. And I want you to lead me into my future and be my God and Father. If you're that person, you want to say that prayer with me today, whether you're in front or back on the gallery, can I ask that you lift your right hand above your head and let me say a prayer with you. If you're online, can you go to the chat room and let me know that you're making a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you said a prayer before, but you backslid into sin. You know right now that you're so far away from God that if Jesus should come right now, he won't be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Please say a prayer to rededicate your life to Jesus. Can I ask that you lift your right hand above your head, wherever you are, and let me say this prayer with you right now, right now, right now, right now. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. If you are lifting your hand, please do it very well. You are not lifting it to the pastor. You are lifting it to God. He's the one that forgives sins. He's our redeemer, our soon coming king. If your hand is up, can you stand by your chair right there? Just where you are. Just stand with me and let's pray together. Just stand. Please stand and let's pray together. Just stand and let's pray together. Thank you for standing. Just stand where you are and let's pray together. Yes. Stand. Stand. Stand and surrender all to him today. Remain where you are but stand and just surrender all to him. If you're online, there's a link that's been sent into the comment or chat. I wanted to click on that and be able to connect with our officials. I'm going to say a prayer with you right now and I want you to say this after me. Everyone standing. If you, God is touching your heart and you want to stand, please join the people standing. Thank you, my brother. Just join the people standing and stand. Join the people standing and stand. God will start something new in your life from today. Glory be to Jesus. Glory be to Jesus. Father, we thank you. If you're standing, I want to say this prayer after me and if you're doing the same online, 
Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I ask that you forgive me my sins and that you cleanse me from every unrighteousness. Say, today, I dedicate my life to you afresh. I open up my heart to you. Wash me clean. I want a new beginning with you. Fill my heart with your spirit. Enable me to live as your child from this moment forward. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for taking away my shame. Help me to grow and to become better in my Christian faith. I pledge allegiance to you for the remaining days of my life. Thank you for accepting me in the name of Jesus. If you just said a prayer with me, our officials are around you. I want you to please follow them. If you don't mind, just walk towards the back. They just want to, you know, spend a few minutes with you and you'll be back with us in the service. Uh, please just follow them very quickly. Thank you for the decision you're making today.